you may remember a couple of weeks ago in our message time together, we continued our summer series, which we do again today, Gleanings from Genesis, and we were introduced to Joseph. Joseph was the favorite son of his father, Jacob, and Joseph received a special made coat of many colors from his, from his father, Jacob, which introduced a lot of jealousy because of the favoritism that Joseph displayed with his favorite son, or that Jacob displayed with his favorite son, Joseph. But Joseph didn't make it any easier for himself, if you remember. And he actually intensified the hatred and maybe the jealousy his brothers had of him when he shared with them then two dreams that he received. You may also remember the two dreams. There was the one pertaining to the sheep, where they all stood with their sheep upright to Joseph. And there was one pertaining to the sun, the moon, and the stars. Both of the dreams which would indicate, which he shared with his brothers and with his father, that they would eventually bow to him. For Joseph, who already had an intense amount of hatred displayed to him by his brothers, of the jealousy and the favoritism, that was not really a smart move. Because the brothers then are so mad at him, as the story continues in Genesis chapter 37, they desire to rid themselves of him. They, he walks upon them while they're in the wilderness, in the field. They decide to throw him in a pit. They would rather see him dead, so they make a plot to kill him. And they nearly would have done it had it not been for the oldest brother, Reuben, who begins to reconsider it. While they're reconsidering with Joseph being in the pit, they caravan of Ishmaelites come by so they think to themselves well let us not kill the boy let us just uh, rid ourselves of him and make some money at the same time so they sell him to the Ishmaelites the Ishmaelites well they go to Potiphar who actually buys Joseph like as a slave that's the story we're going to continue today as we go back to Joseph one more time we're going to advance to Genesis chapter 37 We'll continue basically just where we left off with the story of Joseph. But today we're going to find that in his life, he's already had a lot of adversity. But today he'll have even more adversity. And a point is the way for how we can overcome adversity in our life. So we're turning now to Genesis chapter 39. It is 23 verses in length. We're going to read all 23, so bear with me as we stand together this morning to read about Joseph and Potiphar's wife, and the situation was unfolded for Joseph now in this new situation. Chapter 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had, brought, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and the field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, 
Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in this house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And she spoke to Joseph day after day. He would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. Verse 11, but one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to be with me, to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge, because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Father, Lord, we thank you today for the reading of this word. We pray, Lord, that you're guide us and direct us into the message you have for us to receive today. I pray, Lord, that the message today will be heard and understood and how then so we can see that everybody in this room, everybody we know, will go through times of adversity, times, Lord, that becomes frustrating to us and, and, and sometimes when we just want to give up. But I pray, Lord, today you'll give us the key to how we can overcome any type of adversity in our life. So let us heed the message today, listen and apply it to our lives, and be thankful for what we shall learn that we can do to our life today to overcome some misfortune that happens. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as an opening introduction to the direction we're headed now with Joseph, because he'll be in our topical conversation we'll be having for the next couple of weeks until we end our series, I refer to a commentary which says this. The events of Joseph's life paint a picture of remarkable courage, stunning faithfulness, and above all, unmistakable divine supervision. Few people in history have faced Joseph's obstacles, undeserved hatred, family rejection, and slavery to name a few. With God's help, he overcomes them all and becomes an example of how believers like us should act in adversity. So we can follow along with the story of Joseph and see how he reacted 
and then maybe how we should also react when we have times of adversity. And it happens to all of us. So the question then that we uh, ask ourselves is, well, how do you react then when, when those moments begin to happen, when we're in, in a moment of adversity, when a bad situation has come upon us, something unfair or some undeserved hardship or some misfortune of some kind, I mean, just maybe blatant rejection by others, how do you react in that moment of adversity? I mean, do you get mad? Do you get upset? Have a little fury? Get angry? Do you want to let someone know about it by ranting and raving? Or, or maybe you just try to do the best you can to get even with them for what has happened to you. That's the way many people react. But note that Joseph, in his story, we, we see some things happening in chapter 37 and now chapter 39. And with the things we see happening now in the life of Joseph, he doesn't appear to do any of these kind of things. He, he isn't ranting. He isn't raving. There's no verse that we've read, and there's no verse you'll find throughout the narrative of Joseph that goes all the way through the end of Genesis. There's nothing you'll find one time pertaining to Joseph's life that suggests that Joseph was to get even with anyone who has mistreated him. Not with Potiphar, not with his wife. I mean, there were some trumped-up charges being made against Joseph, against Potiphar's wife, toward him. But you don't see any ranting, don't see any raving, Nothing in what you find Joseph saying, I mean, I'm being mistreated and life is simply unfair. Consider the fact that Joseph, yeah, we've read so far a little bit about him, and you might see he's already been mistreated in a couple instances. It started, of course, with his brothers. Yeah, he shared with them a dream and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, he was mistreated by his brothers the way things developed. It continues now in chapter 39 with Potiphar's wife. And even then with Potiphar himself, when he finds out what his wife told him about what didn't happen. So if anyone has an opportunity here to complain about their circumstances, it's Joseph. If, he, if anyone has a right to be angry with the cards they've been dealt, it's him. But we do not see any hint of fury or anger or ranting or raving. I mean, not even a hint of resentment towards the people involved. So we see Joseph not reacting in a way that sometimes we might react or have reacted before. The question now becomes why? Why does Joseph, with everything we know has already happened to him and much more does happen, with everything that happens to Joseph in his life, how can he stay calm and cool and collected when these unfortunate things happen in his moments of adversity? How can he be that way? And the answer then is this, our central theme. That Joseph knows that God is in control. He knows that because God is in control, he has faith in God. And because he has faith in God, he can exercise faith in every circumstance that happens to him in life. He knows God is in control. None of us are ever in control of anything that's happening to us. Now we might think that we are, but we're not in control of anything. God is in control of everything. And because we know that God is in control and that he's with us through everything, we can exercise our faith in whatever happens in life. That's Joseph. Warren Worsby observes that when he, Joseph, was at home in Hebron, Joseph's brothers considered him to be a troublemaker. But in Egypt, he was a source of blessing because God was with him. 
like the blessed man described in Psalms chapter 1, everything he did prospered. Joseph is a good example of a believer who trusted God and made the best of his difficult circumstances. I think Worsby's correct. I mean, Joseph sets an example for us to be able to follow in that, you know, there's no hint of any kind of retaliation, of resentment, of anything in any moment of adversity he's had. So he does set an example for us. But as you think about Joseph's life, it's an interesting story of Joseph. Yeah, it takes up a lot of chapters in Genesis. It's the tail end of the, of the entire book, if you will. And maybe it takes up more even the narrative of Abraham. So it's, it's a big section of a story pertaining to a man that we can sometimes learn some things from. And while we don't see it then, when the story of Joseph, there's not one verse you can point to and say, this is it. Well, we don't see it there. What we find about Joseph, if you analyze his story in depth, is that while we don't see the change in Joseph's life between the time that he was an obnoxious teenager who couldn't wait to share his dreams, and then a boy who was placed into a pit, sold as a slave, purchased by Potiphar, made trumped-up charges against by Potiphar's wife, somewhere along the way of his life and journey so far, we find he must have humbled himself and recognized the power of God. I mean, somewhere along the narrative of Joseph, even in one chapter to another, you find somewhere Joseph learned of the emptiness of a life without God. And that thought and observation brings up to me Solomon. You might remember Solomon. I mean, Solomon, of course, was the product, if you will, of David and Bathsheba. But Solomon, who became king of Israel after David's death, was also known as the wisest man to ever live. In 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29 and 30, it says God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of the people in Egypt. But not only was Solomon extremely wise, again, the God maybe the wisest man to ever live, he also may have been the richest man to ever live. In 1 Kings 10.23, it says, Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches, again, and in wisdom. But let us just not assume that. Let us see what kind of things that was within that Solomon's riches and wealth that he had. In verses 14 through 25 of 1 Kings 10, it says that the weight of the gold, listen, just the gold that he received each and every year was a total of 666 talents. Now, we don't measure talents, but believe me, that's a lot of gold that he's getting each and every year. Within his palace, he had 200 large shields of hammered gold placed in his palace. His throne was covered with ivory and fine gold. Now, think about any type of furniture you have in your house. Anything, anything, and you probably have a throne somewhere in your house. Okay, I ain't going there, though. But I know someone as a pastor who had a throne in their bathroom, $23,000 throne. That's extreme. But his throne, his furniture, the one he was set up on, had was ivory and fine gold. Then there were six steps then that went up to his throne. On the steps, 
stood 12 lions. Amazing. All of his goblets within his palace were made of gold. He had a fleet of trading ships that once every three years, once every three years, brought him more gold and silver, ivory, and listen, apes and baboons. I don't know what that's for. But it brought him every three years, he would get all that stuff, more gold, more silver, more ivory, and then apes and baboons, or whatever that means. But he just had a lot of riches. He had a lot of wealth. There's no other kingdom you could ever find described like the one that Solomon had. In all his possessions, if you accumulate his possessions and try to put it in monetary terms today, it would exceed billions. In fact, scholars have tried now to find out what was the extreme measure of Solomon's wealth. And they come up to a number of $2.1 trillion. That's a lot of wealth. $2.1 trillion. With that thought, I found MarketWatch. that said that Vladimir Putin's wealth, even by the most generous calculations, pales in comparison. In fact, throw in the vast riches of Microsoft co-founder Bill Gates, Warren Buffett of Berkshire Hathaway, and Amazon's Jeff Bezos, and their combined fortune doesn't even approach the riches of the history's wealthiest. Solomon, by far, was one, if not the, history's wealthiest men. But Solomon, as wise, and now certainly as rich, was also stupid, just to be perfectly blunt. Because he allowed himself to be pulled away from the Lord by a host of women. Listen, 1 Kings 11, 3, 4. Solomon had how many wives? 700 wives. I can't. They were princesses. 300 concubines. He's got 1,000 women. Are you serious? What a moron. His wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. Yeah, he had all the riches you man may want. He had all the worldly pleasures ever given to him. There was nothing withheld from Solomon. He was wise, but he was maybe not so wise. But then later, as Solomon matured in life, he began to truly find out meaning and purpose. Writing Ecclesiastes, he found out that really his life was empty and void and meaningless without God, even with the wealth and the, and the wisdom. In Ecclesiastes 1, verse 2, he says it's all meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And certainly then life without God is meaningless. He concluded in tw chapter 12, he says, fear God and keep his commandments. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Yeah, so Solomon had a great life by worldly definition, by worldly standards. Solomon excelled in everything. But he truly found out that without God, life was meaningless compared to Joseph. Joseph was with God. Joseph knew God was in control of all the adversity that he was experiencing in life. But he stayed faithful to God, never deviated from God. So we have a contrast between two men. 
as we notice that contrast, then we begin to have an application because now as we see what happened to Solomon, what happened to Joseph, we think about where we are right now in life. That's what we need to think about. Where would you be right now? Where would you be right now in your life without God being part of it? Or where would you be in life if you failed to accept Jesus as Lord? As you begin to contemplate those questions, I mean, chances are, obviously, that we might even not know each other. I mean, if none of us was living without God, if none of us knew Jesus as Lord and Savior, we might not even know each other. Certainly not even in the same path or circle. And and, and then we need to recognize that if we were living without God, living without Jesus, then most likely we'd be living a wandering about aimlessly without meaning. Living a life void and empty. So it's an interesting question to ponder for a moment. Where would you be right now without God? And where would you be if you had failed to come to Jesus? As we ponder that within our own lives and go back somewhat to the story of Joseph, it's interesting here that hidden within the story and the narrative of Joseph is a looming question. It's not the same question we're asking ourselves, but it's similar. I mean, the question really then for Joseph is, I mean, if Joseph would have stayed at home, if he would have not went out upon chapter 37, which says he went out to see his brothers in the field, if he would have stayed home with Jacob, where would he be? I mean, if he would have stayed home with Jacob, would, would he have been the humble and the faithful witness for God that we now see of him? I mean, it's a question maybe we'll really never know the answer. But it's not out of the realm of possibility to think that if Joseph would have stayed home with Jacob, then he might would have become even more of an obnoxious, self-conceited manipulator that his father Jacob had been in life. I mean, remember that Jacob certainly was a manipulator a deceiver in life. I mean, we go back to Genesis 32 when everything was happening with Jacob and Esau and all of a sudden they were going to come and meet together for the final time and, and Jacob's really nervous about meeting Esau because he stole the blessing from sheer manipulation. And so when they come back together, you may remember Genesis 32 talks about how he wrestled with God and that became Jacob's life-changing moment. So it's maybe a little speculation on our part, perhaps, to think that if Jacob, I mean, if Joseph would have stayed home, he might become like his father, at least in the beginning. Because now as we do go back to the story and see Joseph, that is not who Joseph is. Joseph is not the reincarnation of the great deceiver his father Jacob once was. What we see in Joseph is that he's godly, that he's faithful. And he's highly favored by God. Perhaps you can start to see some divine intervention starting to happen here in Joseph's life. It continues through many chapters. So God is obviously looking out for Joseph. He's protecting him. He's blessing him. And then Joseph, in return, is the faithful servant of the Lord, knowing that his life is empty without God. He knows that his life is nothing, meaningless, apart from God being part of it. That Joseph could withstand any adversity, 
any moment of misfortune in his life, he could withstand that because he knew that God was in control. He knew that God was with him, and so he remained steadfastly faithful to God through it all. As our theme suggests, Joseph knows that God is in control and allows him to exercise the faith in any and every circumstance that's thrown to him. Kurt Strassner writes in his commentary on Genesis something that's pretty fitting. He says, there's no question that one of the main emphases of the account of Joseph is the favor of God in his life. In fact, the news that God was with Joseph is repeated eight times in chapter 39 alone. You see them there. Chapter 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. He became successful. Verse 3 simply says the Lord was with him. Verse 3 again later. The Lord caused all that he had to prosper in his hand. Verse 5. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Verse 5 later, the Lord's blessing upon him is all that he owned. Verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. Verse 23, the Lord's with him. And finally, verse 23 at the end, whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. And then Strassner adds, the message is clear, isn't it? Even though Joseph was away from his homeland, even though he had been betrayed by his brothers, even though he was no longer a free man, and even though he ended up in prison, still the Lord was with him. And that should bring all of us great joy to know the Lord with Joseph through all that. Because the Lord is not only with Joseph, but he's with you also. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, recognizing him truly as Lord and Savior, God is with you always. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He is with you always. And remembering that in a tense, stress-filled, life-unfair moment will keep you on the right path. It will allow you to be a positive witness to those who are watching you. And believe me, they're watching you. When you have something bad to happen to you, when you stand up and say, I believe in Jesus Christ, he is my Lord and Savior, when you have something bad to happen to you, people are going to be waiting to see how you react. And when you know that God is in control, you're a born-again believer, he's always with you, you have a way to overcome the adversity in your life. As it was with Joseph. And when life happens, sometimes we just seem to get the short end of the stick. But when it happens, like Joseph, there's no reason to pout or get angry, to rant, to rave, or try to get even. Now, we can remain calm even when we may get the short end of this thing. We can still remain calm, cool, collected, just like Joseph. Because we also know, as believers, that God is in control. He is with you. And so you can exercise faith and trust in him in every circumstance in your life. When life hits you unexpectedly, remember that you are favored, that God is with you. When life hits you right upside of the face, in the head, when things begin to happen, unfold in your life, this going, if it hasn't happened, it's just a matter of time it will happen. When life begins to happen unexpectedly, some misfortune seems to surface. Remember, God is in control, and he is with you and will bring you through it. Now, having said that, let me say this, and perhaps even goes without saying. In follow-ons of everything we just said, 
But here it is. That those who are under the favor of God, and every one of us as born-again believers are under the favor of God, that those who are under the favor of God are expected to demonstrate faithfulness to God. Process that a minute. Every one of us are under the favor of God. He has given us his son, and we have received him as Lord. We are all under the favor of God. In return, we're expected to demonstrate faithfulness, and we could add obedience to God. And in Joseph's life, he certainly did. Let's take a closer look. Find Joseph's faithfulness and integrity. In verses 1 through 6, scanning over again the beginning of the narrative in verses 1 through 6, you should be able to serve a great amount of faithfulness in which Joseph served in Potiphar's house. I mean, he was worthy of notice in verse 3, even promoted in verse 4. In fact, his integrity under Potiphar is summed up in verse 6. Is that Potiphar did not even concern himself with anything. He didn't concern himself with anything besides what he was going to eat. He didn't care. He didn't have to. He could trust Joseph completely. He knew Joseph would take care of everything. He knew the Lord was with Joseph. He didn't have to have a care about anything within his house except for what he was about to eat. Wouldn't you like that? That's Joseph's situation. That's part of her receiving a benefit. He knew of Joseph's faithfulness. He knew that Joseph displayed great integrity. Now, you think about that, think about this thing. Now, what a challenge it is to us as we live our lives. I mean, are we known as the most trustworthy employees where we work? We should be. Are we known that our bosses could entrust us with their checkbooks? Knowing they had to worry about any part of it? Can we be trusted to be on time and to obey everything that happens within the workplace? Because these are the kind of things that believers, the Joseph of the world, whom God will use to draw people to himself. It's not about us. It's about the life we live to glorify God. And we live that life of integrity, the life that Joseph is displaying here. God can get the glory, draw believers, unbelievers to himself. So you find Joseph's faithfulness in the account and Joseph's integrity. But you also find Joseph's chastity. Potiphar so entrusted Joseph with everything in this household that amazing, he knew he could leave his wife at home with Joseph. Now, in our world today, maybe even really then, that was a risky move. It's a highly risky move today because not, not everyone, not everyone can be trusted with another man's wife or a husband or a daughter or a son. Too many times we hear about things that happen when people are alone. I hear it all the time at school between the hours of 3 o'clock and 5.36 when children are alone, a lot can happen. Especially sometimes when they are with an adult, unfortunately. So there's a lot of things that can happen where Joseph sets an example that he knew he could be trusted. And Potiphar knew that, so he let him be alone with his wife. But notice that even though he was trustworthy, he even went an extra mile in fleeing from the temptation. Because the text tells us that day after day after day after day, Potiphar's wife would put on her perfume, she'd put on those eyelashes, she'd put on her best little makeup and gown, all that kind of stuff, and just urge Joseph 
into seduction. Verse 10 says, day after day, Joseph would refuse to listen to her, to lie beside her, or to even be with her. There is the practical key to Joseph's purity there, where he refused to even be with her. He took great pains to make sure they were never alone together. He just simply made a plan to avoid her altogether. But what about people today? Do people today sometimes take the same type of action to avoid being with the opposite sex? Knowing that when you're in that moment, sometimes some things may happen. I mean, it is surely the way to avoid temptation and false accusation by avoiding to be with the person alone. Joseph knew that God was aware of everything that was happening and watching. He knew that God was with him. Kent Hughes states that the greatest deterrent then to fall into the sexual siege in Joseph's life with Potiphar's wife was Joseph's awareness that God was with him. We don't need to go to the measure of being with someone when we know we might be tempted. Avoid the temptation and just leave. That was what Joseph was trying to do in his life. And he knew also that God was with him and that God was watching. And he didn't want to sin against God. But if you contrast what Joseph was doing to people today, they could care less half the time and pursue it anyway. But we as believers, set an example of people watching, we flee the temptation. So recognizing that God is in control, that God is with us every day and hour and minute is a great remedy to maintaining and keeping a positive attitude in any kind of unfortunate circumstance that happens in our lives. Here's a situation. You've heard it before. Maybe even said it. Here it comes. Yeah, life isn't fair. There's times we're going to have some unfair moments. It just happens to us. But in those unfair moments in life, we can still overcome the world. Jesus told his disciples, John 16, a time is coming and the fact has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. As Jesus told his disciples that we also then, as disciples of Christ, can all be overcomers. We can overcome any form of adversity that enters our life. We can overcome any type of adversity that comes in our life. We can remain cool, calm, and collected, just like Joseph, because we know that God is in control. He is with us always, and we can exercise faith in every circumstance. We have multiple situations occurring in our life, in our church family. Nora has been through a lot of adversity in this past year plus. Nick has lost Ray. We've all lost Ray. A lot of adversity has entered Nick's life. Tom is in surgery right now. A lot of adversity and fortunate things have happened to Tom. And when Tom was in Florida, they didn't think he'd ever make it back alive. 
Bill has had multiple surgeries and had different things happen to him this past year. I could go on and name every person in this room who's had some, toward, some sort of moment of misfortune. And, and we can go through that and say, well, this is unfair to me. I shouldn't be receiving this kind of treatment. Or we can be like Joseph, who sets an example for us to remain positive, to remain faithful, recognizing that although we don't see it at the moment, God still is in control of the situation that I'm in. I may not understand why I'm in the situation at the moment, but I know God is in control. I know that God is with me. And I know then because of that, I can exercise faith and believe in God, and he'll bring me through this in every circumstance that I have in life. As one commentary stated, he said, Brothers and sisters, the key to our day-to-day success in this life is living in a reality that God is with us. God is truly with us. So for conclusion, I've named a few things that's happening, but I, I know I missed some. So is there something happening in your life right now that seems to be tremendously unfair? And are you tempted to get mad, to rant, to throw a fit, or to get even? Or, or maybe as something happening in your life right now may seem to be unfair and misfortune of some kind and adversity Maybe you sought out the counsel of family and friends, and your family and friends tell you, well, you just need to curse God. But that is not the answer to our adversity. In fact, if we go so far as to say, I'm going to curse God, it might bring even more misery in our life. But interesting, then, as you go through the scriptures, you're going to find there was a man who had lost all his wealth, who lost all of his children, and then had his health begin to disappear. That was Job. Job was left with his wife. And his wife just gave him the counsel. He refused it, but the counsel that Job's wife told him was to curse God and die. Job didn't exercise that option. He stayed faithful through it all. If any adverse moment that happened to Job, like with Joseph, he remained faithful. Why? How could he remain faithful? It's our theme. That God is in control. He is with you always. And because he is in control, he's with us always. We always can exercise faith in every circumstance that happens in our life. Father, Lord, we thank you for this message today. I pray, Lord, it benefits someone that may receive this message today that's hearing it or is here now in the flesh, Lord, that is going through a moment when they need to exercise faith. And I pray, Lord, they would stand upon the faith, the faith they have in you, Lord, knowing that you will get them through the situation. Yeah, life does get difficult. Sometimes it gets hard, really hard. We go through moments, Lord, we'd rather not go through. But we know that you'll be with us through that moment, that you'll never put on us, Lord, more than we can handle, and you'll bring us through it. So today, Lord, we turn all of our heart and our attention to you, And pray, Lord, you'll be with us as we know you are in the unfair moment we may be having right now and our misfortune. Let us exercise our faith in you today. We trust you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.